Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, Merry Christmas to you one last time. You know, there are some of you here today who are already counting down the days till next Christmas. Is that right? Who's doing that? Oh, only, maybe we only got one. She's downstairs. <laughs> Ashley. Well, if, if you're thinking about it, so I count down. Christmas was how many days ago now? <laughs> Come on, guys. How many days ago was Christmas? Two days ago. Good. So how many days do we have to wait? <laughs> no. This is a leap year. You got 364 more days still to wait till next Christmas. Hate to break it to you. I think we can all use the extra day, right? So uh, three weeks ago, we started looking at, at the, the story of Christmas. And the first week, we, uh, our word, which would describe it, would be anticipation. As the people of God looked at the prophecies of God, waiting for God to do what he had promised to do. And sure enough, God, right on time, right place, fulfilling the prophecies, the Son of God comes into the world. And, and that idea of the Son of God coming into the world is what we looked at two Sundays ago. And we talked about the incarnation, that this was not just a human being. This was God himself, the Son of God, come down from heaven, becoming a man, 100% God, 100% man. And in so doing, he was able to, to, uh, for us to know God better because he became a man. And also, he understands what it's like to live where we live, which is such an encouragement to us. And then last week, we talked about the celebration, the birth of Christ, and the fact that the angels showing up and pronouncing this good news, great joy, that we didn't just get a Savior, we also get a Lord. That God, yes, saved us from our sins. And that's the gospel, isn't it? The fact that every one of us have sinned and, and fallen short of God's glory and our sins separate us from God. And if we die in that condition, we'll be separated from God forever in hell. But God loved us so much that the Son of God himself became a man, moved into our sinful world and lived a perfect and sinless life. And then as he died on the cross, he took the penalty for all of my sins, for all of your sins and the sins of the whole world and rose again from the dead three days later. And if we will place our faith and trust in him and receive Christ as Savior, every sin is forgiven. We get eternal life and God himself moves inside and begins working on us from the inside out to make good changes. But we didn't just get a Savior, we got the Lord. Lord implying he's God, but more than that. Lord, he's the one who gets to make the decisions. He's the one who should be deciding how we live our lives, where we go, what we do how we do those things. And, and at first, as human beings, sometimes we don't like to be told, but reality, God always leads us in what's best for us. His love for us not only saves us, but leads us and works in our lives in good and great ways. And so what a blessing, something to celebrate. And that brings us to today's word, and that is continuation. The story isn't over yet. In fact, the Christmas story isn't over yet. So let's go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. No, chapter 2. I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Matthew chapter 2. It's page 1112 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. And if you don't have a Bible of your own today, we'd really encourage you to take one of those Bibles from under the chairs and follow along. Page 1112 in that Bible. Now, the story we're going to look at here is um, actually, in, in some sense, in the beginning, we might call it the photo, sh- uh, excuse me, um, this is what's really behind Christmas and the story of the Christmas. We um, tend to see in Christmas cards, TV shows, movies, the Photoshop version of Christmas. And what I mean by that is this, and we're going to read about the wise men here today coming, but in reality, the wise men didn't show up the night Jesus was born. They were not there with the angels, with the angels, with the shepherds. Uh, they weren't there at the manger uh, worshiping him, okay? They come later. But on our Christmas cards, what do we see? There they are, right? And those are the pictures. And that's fine for what they're trying to accomplish. But so let's read along here. This happened sometime after Jesus' birth, maybe even as late as two years after his birth. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they may have come all the way from what we would consider uh, nowadays, uh, uh, it could be Iran or Iraq, someplace in that part of the world. And they were saying, verse 2, saying, where is he who was, has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And uh, the first week when we talked about the prophecies of God, we looked at this prophecy. This is a prophecy given back in the book of Numbers, chapter 24. And it talks about that uh, there's going to be a star arise out of Judah and that there will be one born who will rule, who will hold the scepter, who will be the king. And so Daniel and his companions and earlier Esther, uh, they have been Uh, In that part of the world, the Jews are there, the scriptures are there. And so these wise men, uh, studying all sorts of things, have access to the Jewish scriptures. And so they've studied this. And and a star appears there in the east, and they look, the star appears in the west. And they make the connection with this prophecy. And so they determine to make this trip. Verse number three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would they be troubled? If this is the fulfillment of the prophecy and the Messiah coming, why would they be troubled? Wouldn't they be glad? Why don't we rejoice? Well, because you need to know something about Herod. Herod was a very paranoid king. He had one of his wives, or he had her killed because he was suspicious that she was trying to overthrow him. He had two of his sons killed because he was suspicious they were trying to overthrow him. And now somebody shows up, and it's got to be quite the thing. They show up with their caravan and from the east, and, and there's a king born. Whoa, wait, who is this? So he's troubled. Now, you know why all of Israel is troubled? All the, the people in Jerusalem are troubled? Because they know Herod's going to be troubled. There's going to be trouble for all of us, all right? And so that's what we see here. He was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, and, and they quote, they're going to quote from Micah here, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And it actually goes on that prophecy and talks about that this one who's coming has existed from everlasting and will exist to everlasting, will be the eternal God himself. But so in Bethlehem. Now, do you notice that they knew the scriptures? And yet it had, they hadn't connected the dots, had they? You can know what the Bible says, but if you are not surrendered to God, if you are not yielded to God and trying to live by the scriptures, you will miss the point. And just like they did, they missed the point. Verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. When did you see this star? When did you first notice it? He's trying to figure out what he's dealing with here. Verse eight, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, that isn't the, one of the biggest lies we read in scripture, right? He's lying to them. All he wants to do is make sure that there are no threats to him. He wants to find out where this child is. Verse nine, when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east is while they were in the east and saw the star, it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This is a supernatural thing, isn't it? I mean, stars don't do that. Okay, I mean, there's all sorts of attempts to try to figure out, you know, what the stars might have been and the alignments of planets and all this kind of stuff. But I tell you what, if there's a God who created the universe, he has no problem having a star do this, right? Okay, so as they watch, somehow the star moves and goes and, and stops where they can see it and, and so they know where to, to go. This is, this is God at work providing direction for people who are wanting to, to pursue him. Verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And let's just stop there. See, this is one of those reasons that we have to uh, believe that, uh, that the wise men did not show up the night of Jesus' birth and weren't at the stable and the manger and all that. Because verse number 11, when they had come into the what? What's it say in your Bible? The house, that's right. So he's no longer in a stable. Okay, and it says they saw the young child. Now, this word young child um, refers primarily to a toddler age child. Okay, uh, it can be used of, of infants as well, but normally that's, that's the idea, a toddler age child. Just like we could say, if we think about the preschoolers, we think of these, you know, certain issues, but could a preschooler include a, a, an infant? It could, couldn't it? I mean, they're all preschoolers. <laughs> but we wouldn't normally say preschoolers about an infant. Well, this word here typically means toddlers. So Jesus here is, is moving around. He's, he's most likely between one and two years old at this point. So what probably happened is at the birth of Christ, the star appears. And the wise men see it and start trying to figure out what it is. And they make the connection with the Jewish prophecies. And then they make the trip. And by the time they get here, they're living in a house and he is a, a, a toddler. It's hard to imagine Jesus as a toddler, isn't it? Well, we'll have to talk about that another time. <laughs> I got toddlers running around my house right now, and it's cool. Um, 
All right, so verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. This worship him is the idea of bowing before him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these things were worth a lot of money. Obviously, I mean, gold certainly worth a lot of money, right? But the frankincense was too. And the myrrh, I'll talk more about them in just a minute. But I want you to see something here. If you remember uh, that first week, uh, three weeks ago, when we talked about the prophecies and and, um, Mary and Joseph came with Jesus to the temple and made the offerings that were required by them. Do you remember that they made the offerings the way poor people would make them? Remember, there were two, there's, if you bring a lamb and a bird, but if you don't have a lamb, you can just bring two birds. And that's what they did. And so we know that they weren't wealthy people. They didn't have a lot of money. And now what has been laid on them? Really, a lot of money. A lot of things of worth. And what's interesting about these things, and I, this was not the wise men's intent, and I don't even know that this is the intent of, of why we're told it, but, you know, gold speaks of royalty, Okay, it shows royalty. Frankincense was uh, taken from a tree. It was kind of a, a gum thing. It was used as incense, frank incense, a kind of incense. And incense um, refers to the idea of, uh, of deity, the worshiping of God. So royalty and deity and myrrh was used to anoint people as part of the embalming, burial processes. So a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus, okay? So we see these things happening here. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream, divinely warned meaning what? God is the one who warned them. Being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. God is protecting. If he's, he may be protecting the wise men, but for sure he's protecting Jesus, okay? Let's continue, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Okay? So the angel warning him again, God is protecting, and he's doing more than just protecting. He's actually giving direction, saying, Take him here, take him to this place. And Egypt, depending on where you look at where the border might have been at that point in time, was anywhere from like 45 to 75 miles away. Okay, Uh, so they left in the middle of the night to do that. Verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Let's just stop for a moment and think about something. Do you realize that at this point, Jesus is a refugee? He is, isn't he? He and his family have had to run to get away to a place that was not theirs, not their home, and stay until they were able to come back. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So apparently the star had appeared just about two years earlier. And so uh, Herod's not taking any chances. Any boy in the area of Bethlehem, two years old and under, he has killed. He is a murderer. He's a liar. 
He was a murderer. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, that happens pretty quick. You know, God will always settle things, there will be justice done. Sometimes, maybe more often than not, we don't see justice. It seems like people get away with things. But God will always make things right. By the way, what good news for you and me that he did justice for our sins on Jesus. All right. All right, let's continue. So now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now, he, Herod had uh, another son, too. And if that son had taken rule, it might not have been as scary. But this one was known to be brutal, just like his father was. And so Joseph is afraid. And I believe because Joseph is afraid, God responds to him and addresses him. It says, and then being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, what's interesting about this prophecy is we can't find any prophecy with these words in it. But what we do find is this. If you were uh, a Nazarene, you were a nobody. Uh, they had little respect for anybody out of Nazareth. Just You, you were, you know despised. You were looked down upon. In fact, we get over into uh, the book of John and um, they tell Philip, hey, this, this, the Christ has come from Nazareth. And he, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because that was the, what they thought about Nazareth. Uh, later in the book of Acts, when uh, uh, I don't remember which who it was, Felix or Agrippa or somebody was trying to explain who these Christians were. He says, ah, there's some sect of the Nazarenes. It was a put down. Okay. Isaiah 53, talking about the coming Messiah, says he was despised and rejected of men. We go through other scriptures and find it. But you see, Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy of being humble, being despised, being rejected by the world. All right. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. We see here, uh, if, if we were to look back, that um, Mary, I mean, let me back up. God is on a mission, isn't he? We see it here, God was on a mission to bring his son into the world, to reveal himself to the world through his son, because the world in the darkness of sin needs a savior, needs the Lord. So God is on a mission to make his son known in the world. Well, Mary signs up for this mission. Remember, God shows up and tells her, and she says what to him? Okay, let it, let it be according to what you've said. She signs up for this. Joseph isn't sure he wants to sign up for this. You remember until the angel came and told him what was going on? And then he signed up for it. He, he got up and started doing what God had said. Mary and Joseph have signed up 
to God's mission to bring the Son of God to the world. And as a result, they experienced rejection. Uh, They experienced hatred. They experienced problems. But in it all, God showed himself very real and very strong and trustworthy and took care of them as they were on this mission that God had given them. And if we were watching this on a TV show or on a movie in the theater, and what would come up at the very end as we see them moving to Nazareth and starting to settle down, we would see these words come up. To be continued. To be continued. Because the story isn't over. And certainly we go through the rest of the the, the New Testament and the Gospels. But what I want to say to you today is that this idea to be continued is not um, just for the rest of the Bible. It's to be continued in our lives. For God has called each one of us who know him as Savior. We talked earlier about the gospel. If you've received Christ as Savior, he has called every one of us to be part of this mission, to join him in his mission. He's the one who's seeking to make his son known to the world so the world can know him and have eternal life through him and and they can join the mission. and, And this is the great commission we're talking about, isn't it? But he's called every one of us to be a part of this mission. And when we say, okay, let's do it. Let's, I sign up, I accept the call, I'm gonna do it. We find in this story we read today some things that all of us will experience different times in different ways in our lives. And what I wanna do here, last Sunday of 2015, the end of the Christmas story, I wanna really encourage you that when you set out, say, okay, God, I am going to surrender to you. I am going to follow you in this mission. I'm going to get out there and live my life for you. Certain things are going to come your way, but I really want to share some scripture with you today that will really, really encourage you. Think about this. So Herod, you know, not a godly man, uh, you know, no love for even God's people, only himself, his own power. He lies, and he lied with the intent to murder, to destroy, right? But in all of that, what did God do? God intervened and, and overcame his intent, his lies and his murder's intent for the Son of God. And so what I want you to see is this, that when we embark on this journey with the Lord to, to live out this calling, to be part of this mission, to take Christ to the world. The enemy is going to lie to us and try to deceive us so that he can destroy us. But God, but God is greater than our enemy and his lies. That's good news, isn't it? But God, I mean, we can be deceived. But God is greater than that and God can cut through this. Now I want you to see that this was the enemy's strategy from the very beginning, Satan's strategy. We see it in the Garden of Eden, lying, deceiving. In John chapter eight, Jesus in talking to the religious leaders about their spiritual condition says this to them. And go ahead and put that, there we go. He says, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources because he is a liar and the father of it. 
And so Satan desires to destroy us. He doesn't want us to be effective. And he, first, he doesn't want us to receive Christ as Savior. And he does his best to get us to believe things that aren't true, so we won't do that. But once we receive Christ as Savior, now he desires to make us ineffective, to, to ruin our lives so that we can't be effective in serving the Lord in the same way. He does it by lying to us, deceiving us, so that we'll make choices that will bring destruction into our lives. Now, how does he do this? Well, we're born with this nature that's bent towards sin and away from God, makes us vulnerable to believing things that are not true. And so things happen in our lives and we begin to believe things that aren't true. We also are bombarded by things that aren't true from, from secular media, uh, from other people that we know, maybe things that we read, things that just aren't true. And we, we arrive at lies like this. He wants to see, say that God really isn't good. To some people, he says, God isn't real. And to others, he says, God isn't good. God isn't trustworthy. You can't trust him. You're not worth saving. There is no hope for you. And either some of us then take all the blame and say everything's my fault. But there's another human tendency, the lie as to what? It's not my fault. It's always somebody else. All these kinds of lies so he can keep us distracted and making bad choices. Now, if that was where we were left, we would be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? But the reality is, is that God is greater than our enemy and his lies. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he says, uh, then, says, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so we as followers of Christ, as, as we open his word and we begin to understand what's true about God and, and, and how he works in the world and what's true about life and what's happening, what's true about us, and we begin to believe these things and then start making our choices on this basis. We're abiding in his word. We're living by his word. We then start to see the truth more and more and more, which means we can recognize the lies when they come along. And we can be free from the deceit and the lies that would control us and destroy us. And, and even beyond that, when we then live this way, what we experience is that um, John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus praying, he praised his father about us. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so earlier this fall, we talked about this idea of sanctified, remember becoming saints, holy ones of God, that God will use his word in our lives to, to make us holy people, to, to strengthen us from the inside out, to enable us to live this life that he has called us to live. And so the enemy is going to try to deceive us in order to destroy us, but, but God is greater than our enemy and his lies. And, and so what do we take away from this? Well, you need to be in the word so the word will be in you. Okay? You really got to be in the word. And I'm not talking about ours. I'm talking about 
significance. Okay, I'm talking about that, that you on a regular basis, best every day, but on a regular basis, you're opening up the word of God and, and working your way through it and spending time with God and talking to God about it and listening as he speaks back to you through the word and helping you to understand it. Uh, James warns us that we can't be just hearers of the word, we need to be doers of the word. And so it kind of reminds me, see, at Christmas, I was so excited, I got this Fitbit. Okay, it's really cool, but I'm a little disappointed because I have been wearing it for two days and I haven't lost a pound. <laughs> What's up with that? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? You get a Fitbit, wear it, and you lose weight? Well, obviously no, right? You can have it, but you have to then do something about it, right? You have to use it, put it into practice, and it can help you then to lose weight. Well, same thing with the Word of God. We don't just take in the information. We saw that the scribes and the, the chief priests had done that. They knew the information, but it didn't transform them. So we must take the Word of God and apply it in our lives. All right. So in this story, we also saw that Mary and Joseph found themselves... Uh, Needy. Remember, they were poor people. They were needy. We see them um, needing to be protected. I mean, they're in danger. They have fears. We see confusion. What do we do? How do we respond to this? Where do we go? And we see this hurts, the emotional hurt. I mean, when you all of a sudden have to flee and you become a refugee, do you think you struggle with that? Yeah. Okay, so we see this happening to them. Yet God is so, so faithful to them. And so here's the deal. <clears throat> As we follow Christ in this calling that he has given us, we are going to uh, have needs and we are going to find ourselves afraid and sometimes we're going to be confused and, and undoubtedly we're going to get hurt along the way. But God, but God, he is going to... Uh, provide for us and he's going to protect us and he is going to give us direction and he's going to comfort us when we are hurt. So, so let's just take a look at these things. Philippians chapter four. Yeah, you have a different verse there than I have here. You got Philippians four on there someplace? Philippians four nineteen. Okay. All right. Philippians 4.19, the Apostle Paul talking to people who were involved in this mission, people who were active in it, people who were giving to, to get the word out. And he says to them, but my God shall supply all your need through Christ Jesus. When we are following the Lord, doing his will, he will provide our needs. What do you need to be able to accomplish at this mission that God has given you? Think about it. What do you need in your life? Here's the reality. If there's anything that you need in your life to do what God wants you to do and you don't have it, he will provide it. Now, so what if you feel like, well, I, I, I don't think I have what I need. What's going on? Well, the reality is you're wrong about needing it. <laughs> you don't need it. Okay, it's not time yet, maybe. It may be that actually in your life, you have things going on in your life that really aren't lining up with this mission and it's making you think you need things and so God isn't providing because he wants to get your attention. 
and get you to look at your life and make some changes. But he will provide your needs when you're walking with him, joining him in his mission. And then when you find yourself uh, fearful, what you see is that God is going to protect you. God is going to protect you. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says this. No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you. We're going to come back to those words. Not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able. But will with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now sometimes people say, well this means that God will never let anything come to my life that I can't handle. Wrong. He will absolutely let things come into your life a time and again and again that you cannot handle on your own. That you do not have the strength or ability to handle on your own. But he will never allow anything into your life that you cannot respond properly to with him. But what you see is he will not allow it. God is sovereign over what happens to us, isn't he? he there's some things he's not going to allow. Romans chapter uh, eight and verse 28, verse we all like, right? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so what I want you to see is this. I want to combine those two verses in your mind. There are some things that God will not allow. He will not allow anything to come into your life that, you, that cannot be used for his good. If something cannot accomplish his good through your life and in your life, then he won't allow it to happen. Because we know what? That everything that happens, God can use. And there was everything that he allows to happen. But so God protects us. He protects us from those things that would destroy us. He protects us from those things that would prevent us from serving the Lord. And then uh, beyond that, sometimes we don't know what to do. We're like, Joseph, where do we go? What do we do? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, God will direct us. It says, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? He shall direct your path. He's going to lead you. And so the idea is, you know, he gave Joseph and Mary some very clear direction. Okay, I want you to head to Egypt. Go now. But we don't always get that kind of direction. But when we are lining our lives up with the word of God, the best we know how, we're pursuing this mission with the Lord and, and we're trusting, we're, we're not depending on our own ability to understand this, but we're being as faithful as we can to acknowledge him and his word and his will in every aspect of our lives. He gets us where he wants us to be, when he wants us to be there. And then the hurts that inevitably come because we live in a sin-cursed world with people who have been impacted by sin. He will comfort us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And sometimes God comforts us. Very often he comforts us through other people. And calls us to do the same for us. So even the hurts that we experience, God works. And so we see all of these issues and things we're going to have to face in life. But what I want to say is this. So what we want to do then is focus on the mission. And leave all the rest of that stuff to God. He's provided for. He's, he's going to take care of us. Uh, 
Charles Stanley has his saying, and he says it often, obey God and leave the consequences to him. He's got it covered. That's what you need to see, okay? And then finally, we saw that, that uh, the Lord leads them, then they end up in Nazareth, a place where they would be looked down upon, not valued. Um, and the reality, well, they accomplished great things, right? Because he was the Savior, the Lord. But the reality is in life, in, in, generally speaking, the world will never appreciate us as Christians and value the way we live. In general, they're just never gonna do it. But in the middle of all that, God will still use us to bring many to him. Many to him. I mean, think about it. Jesus talked about it. He says, hey, if the world's hated me, uh, John chapter 15, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world, there will be people in the world who will hate you. People who don't even know you, but they find out you're a Christian. They will hate you. That's going to happen. Don't get all bent out of shape. They're mad at Jesus. Okay? They're mad at God. All right. And, and there will be people who may not hate you, but they're just not going to understand because they don't know the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Those who don't know the Lord sometimes just can't understand. They don't get it, they don't understand. But we're on a mission to bring the gospel to them, aren't we? And as they don't understand, we talk and we share the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It goes in and works in people's lives. And here's the end result, folks. This is what we need to see down the line. Revelation chapter seven says, after these things I looked and behold, what's the next, a what, a what? A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes. People who were saved. And this is actually only talking about people who came out of the great tribulation. How many more when you take everybody else? So sometimes we can get all worked up because the world hates us and the world doesn't understand. Forget that. Get on the mission. Focus on the mission. Get out there and live out the mission because God is going to use us and Christians like us to bring many, many people to him. So focus on the mission. Your whole life really ought to be focused on the mission. If you're married, living according to God's word in that marriage is part of how we make him known. If we have children and we raise those children according to the word of God, it's part of how we make him known. We have a church we're a part of and ministries that we're involved in, part of how we make him known. The relationships we have with people who don't know the Lord and we live openly Christian lives ready to share the gospel should God give us the opportunity. Is how we're also, that's what our, everything, see, everything comes to play in it. The whole life. And these three but God things, and there's more. God's got you covered. He's got you covered. And so we as individuals need to make a choice. I'm going to sign up. <laughs> You're already signed up technically. But I'm getting up and I'm going to go do this calling that God has given me to help make his son known to our world. But it's not just us as individuals, is it? 
It's us together. It's us as a church choosing to how we need to be faithful in this calling. How do we do that? What's my part? God has gifted me in some way. God has given me resources. He's given me abilities. What's my role in, this, in the church and, and bringing this about? And if we will do that, God will do amazing things. Do you know in the last two weeks, we have had 24 people raise their hands indicating that they had prayed to receive Christ as Savior. That's counting the nursing home last Wednesday night. Yeah, isn't that exciting? And once again, we don't know for sure where are people at unless they come and talk to us and we try to encourage them to do that. But nonetheless, this is people who are hearing the gospel and taking a step, moving toward God in it. And I believe many of them are saved. Maybe all of them. We don't know. But see, we just got to focus on the mission. Be faithful. And God will do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the story of Christmas, Lord. And I pray that we will see that you intend for this story to continue right on through our lives as we join in with you and your mission of revealing yourself to the world through your son, through your people. That we would be faithful in this as individuals and as a church. And we look forward to seeing what you do with us and how you glorify yourself in us as we do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.